0: This is Corey Gray and Tony Stewart from Hairdistry. Thank you for tuning in to the Hairdressers podcast. And here's a word from our sponsors.
1: Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSC.
2: I'm Elizabeth Fay, and I am a huge Schedulisty fan, enthusiast, um, promoter. So what Schedulisty can really do for your business and what it can do for your life um, is so amazing. So it's a modern tool that's going to help you systemize all the procedures in your business, and they're probably some of them are ones you didn't even know you have or you should have. It's going to systemize them, it's going to make everything streamlined and do it for you while you sleep. And this is the way that you can make more money and have more quality of life. So, everything from upping your rebooking rates to taking deposits, helping you enforce your no show and cancellation policies, all the way to your email marketing, and even the way you get tipped and process payments. It's like having a front desk, an assistant, and a virtual assistant all in one in your pocket for such an affordable price. So if you haven't already gotten...
0: Hello, everyone. My name is Jerry Natuno, CEO and founder of Schedulicity, and we're proud to bring you this amazing podcast.
3: Welcome to your day off. My name is Corey. Of course, I sit with my best friend, Tony. What's up, bud? What's going on, homie? I am super, and we say this every time, but I'm super excited about our guest today. First and foremost, we found him on TikTok, which I think is the first guest that we've actually found on, on, on the format known as TikTok.
0: Yeah, it has, platform. It has nothing to do with our industry at all. Well, it has nothing to do with cutting hair or coloring hair, certainly. But I think he, I think he brings great value but, to yeah, it. that's what I'm saying. But what he does do over kind of relate to everybody in our industry. I mean,
3: everybody in the world, really. So we, uh, we're just very uh, fortunate that, uh, that we're the platform that we get to introduce
0: him to the industry. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that the industry is going to find him as fascinating as we do. Actually, you know what? Whatever you're doing right
3: now, stop. Go to TikTok, go to Instagram, and I want you to follow Mind Hacking Happiness. So uh, actually, we're going to pause for a couple of seconds. You go find that. All right. We're back. So listen, go. You should have followed mind hacking happiness. This guy is incredible. And like the stuff that he's, listen, our industry is filled with crystals. Our industry is filled with, with the woo woo stuff. And I'm not against the woo woo stuff at all, but, but what, um, what our guest today is really, really great at is he's putting the science behind it. So he's not discrediting the woo woo at all. He's not discrediting the crystals, the, the rays, all that stuff, but what he does, he puts the science behind it and he tells us why it makes
0: sense. And I am so excited to talk to him. Yeah. It's so funny because you and I've been talking, uh, for several weeks now about this guy and, uh, yeah, yeah. And, and when you said, hey, man, I reached out to him and he said he's, he'll come on the podcast. We were like two little schoolgirls. And, like, and, and, and after 300 podcasts, you think we'd be over that. Right. Especially, yeah. you know, especially for a guy that we
3: met on like, well, we saw on like TikTok, right? Exactly. That's so crazy. All right. So our guest today, his name, his name is Sean Webb. And I'm sure you already know because I'm sure you've already uh, are already followed Um, my Mind Hacking Happiness. Listen, man, this guy is just amazing, and and he's and not only is he going to tell you the science behind you know how all this stuff works, but and what I love most, most about him is then it gives you the out. So if you're upset about something, he kind of tells you how to like think your way through that, or if you have anxiety, how to think your way through that, and like in a real practical, simple way. So I think that uh, I think that he can change some lives. Yep, he he he'll, he'll teach you uh, where your cold is to your hot that's it man that is it so uh well let's bring him in shall we so uh please everybody that's listening give uh give mr sean webb a welcome and sean webb welcome to your day off
4: thanks guys appreciate you guys having me
3: absolutely man thanks for hanging out with a bunch of hairdressers uh on, on their day off
4: right <laughs> <laughs> well you know uh i do uh, realize that people do have hair issues although i do not anymore uh
3: Oh, I think you have the most hair issue, actually, Sean.
4: <laughs> well, there's no issue on how I'm going to wear it.
3: <laughs> right. There's no issue on how you're going to wear it. Uh, Sean, like, like, I don't, I didn't know, like, when we were talking about you, I didn't, are you a neurologist? Or how do you know, understand, or know so much about the brain and, and, and its function?
4: Okay, so here's the awesome part of the story is that um, I'm not qualified, supposedly to be speaking about any of this stuff besides the fact that, um, I am ordained clergy. And so that gives me the, I guess the legal foundation to speak about this stuff and to give people advice and et cetera. But, uh, the, the gist of all of this information that I'm putting out came through like this consciousness expansion experience that I had a long time ago in this bout of meditation or this, um, I guess time frame that I set aside. I went into this deep meditation, and then all of a sudden, a lot of this stuff that I'm now putting out into books and podcasts and speaking at at scientific um, conferences and things like that came through that experience of, you know, it was like an information dump that came in from I don't know where, somewhere either in my mind or maybe through non-local consciousness of i learned a lot about the science after this happened but then what was really interesting is that science came along after that um the first decade i was out there alone you know as the guy who was trying to say hey this is how it works and had absolutely no proof and then the next 10 years um all of the science came through and proved absolutely every bit of the model that i was talking about so it was kind of cool that I ran into something that I thought was important and I thought was useful. I thought, you know, I started talking to people and they were like, oh, my God, that's how my mind works. And, you know, if I look at things the way you're asking me to things change in my mind, yada, yada. And then all of a sudden that was proven correct uh, by science to say, yeah, that's actually how all this stuff works. So then slowly over time, I became uh, transitioned from that guy to holy shit, that guy actually knows some stuff. And started speaking at some science conferences and and things like that about artificial emotional intelligence because that one of the things that came out of the original consciousness expansion experience that that information dump that I got through <clears throat> whatever mechanism that it came through also then wound up becoming uh, the basis for some algorithms of human emotions so that computers can understand uh, happiness and sadness and fear and frustration and all these emotions that we experience as human beings well there's a logical uh, understanding of how to do all that stuff, and so now we 're kind of moving into this weird world of here comes c three p o in a real fashion, and oh by the way, we can also automatically hack all free and open elections for the rest of all time mm. okay <laughs> there's, some, there's a mixed message going on there 's some positives and negatives going on with that, but I think you know where i 've focused has been um, delivering this message in a way that people can understand it and can understand their minds so that they can get the stuff that 's in their minds out of their way. So they can do whatever they want with it. Like if you want to become that guru, that enlightened master that's sitting on the top of the mountain with a long uh, gray beard and everybody comes and sees them and um, you know, yada, 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 you can go there through this path. Or if you just want to be a little bit happier about where you are in life and what you're doing and, and you know, get rid of the uh, depression or the doldrums or the negativity that's been kind of building up and becoming a pattern in your mind, you know, you can do that too. You can stop that short to say, okay, I'm going to take control of my mind. I'm going to do this stuff, make my life a little bit better. And or let's just take it all the way up through spiritual enlightenment and become a guru that people want to listen to or whatever. You know, you can do any and all of that with this because it just tells you how your mind works. Basically, it just tells you Mm -hmm. how to move the things around in your mind that you need to move around to open those doors that you didn't even know existed. And then from there, you can do whatever you want with it. You can, you know, be, be a little bit happier, be a little bit better of a human being, be a little bit better of a spouse, be a little bit better of a parent or you can be a lot better of a parent or a lot better of a spouse or a lot better of a human being, or you can take it all the way up through. Wow. This whole thing is an illusion. And uh, I'm just going to try to make other people's lives as happier as they possibly can be because mine is now bliss and yada, yada, yada. You can, you can do whatever you want. All shades of gray are open to you.
0: That's so cool. yeah, listening to him explain that, you know, I've listened to several other podcasts and and people interviewed you, and uh, and and how you explained for us to do this is is, is pretty, uh, it's pretty almost simplified, right? Yeah, yeah. But but at, you have no clue on how simple it can be, but it it, it does take effort, but it, it just. You know, when, when you listen to it, it's just like, there's no way. Well, I think first is like the awareness, right? Like, like, like,
3: I don't, I, I mean, I don't want to take his work. I don't want to take his like talk here, but you know, like if you're feeling anxiety, if you're feeling anger, like, like that's the first. And so once you've identified, what do you do with that energy? And this is where Sean comes in and Sean says, okay, I got you. I got you. And I'm going to teach you like how to think through the anxiety. I'm going to teach you how to, how to think through the anger. And, and, and it's really cool. Um, before we get into that though, Sean, really quick. So are you working with the Navy SEALs?
4: Um, I am working with some Navy We're not working with uh, Naval Special Warfare yet.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: Um, that's a potential thing that might occur in the future where, you know, we're just kind of surfing this whole thing as we move forward. Um, but I've, I've helped a number of veterans and, um, combat veterans especially deal with issues of PTSD and depression and anger issues and things like that. And so, um, you know, a couple of these guys that uh, got wind of what was going on inside mind hacking happiness, they they read through the stuff and they, we interfaced a little bit and they were like, Holy shit, dude, this is the best mind management stuff that we've seen having gone through the best mind management stuff that department of the defense has to provide and special uh, Naval special warfare has to provide um so let's hang out and so ben um being the kind of shaman explorer that he is um and he's he's one of those uh guys that were you know he he was trained to be a rule breaker and he hung on to that forever uh Mm -hmm. so he was like dude have you ever done uh you know any psychedelic drugs and i was like no i've never done anything because he's like you know the stuff that you're talking about opening up in your mind can happen through psychedelics. And, uh, you know, it just seemed so reminiscent of some of the things that I'd heard and some of the things that I'd experienced, et cetera. And, and so then he's like, okay, so we're going to, uh, we're going to Peru and we're going to do ayahuasca.
1: Oh. And I'm like,
4: okay, so what better opportunity, having never touched any psychedelics in my life, although having an experience that a lot of people can have a, a subset of through psychedelics. So I had this enlightenment thing or this consciousness expansion thing, whatever you want to call it, <clears throat> what better opportunity, to go dive into um, a comparative, um, you know, world tour of psychedelics, I guess, than to start with going to the depths of the Amazon with two United States Navy SEALs.
0: Which you felt
3: safe, right? <laughs> <laughs> Holy cow!
4: Yeah, I know I'm getting back home.
3: <laughs> well, ayahuasca, trip. dude, it, like ayahuasca, like I'm fascinated by it, but I'm terrified of it at the same time, right? Well,
4: yeah, it's um, it's one of those things where the fear of any psychedelics, and I think we're we're coming of age of understanding this stuff, but I'll explain something that a lot of people haven't brought out yet. Um, the fear of experimenting with psychedelics or or a fear of doing something that alters your conscious awareness and alters maybe your control of things is really scary for a lot of people. So that's really common. So don't worry about that at all. It's just something that comes up. Because, you know, the function of fear in the body itself is it's a reaction to a potential devaluation of self. And there's a lot of little moving parts in there that you can start to identify within yourself. And once you do that, you start to take control of these things. So you can actually take control of your fear, you can take control of your anger, et cetera. But that that reaction is one that's very common, because, you know, when a potential devaluation of self comes up, and this can be for anything, this can be of you know, your salon ship potentially shutting down because you don't have enough customers coming in because of COVID, right? That is a potential devaluation to your sense of self because your your shop that you work at or that you own is on your sense of self map. It could take a devaluation soon. So you're fearful or worried about that, that thing. Well, that, that fear response is just a regular physiological response to a potential devaluation of self. And so when we're talking about you know, psychedelics, we're talking about, wow, what is this going to mean to my, to my sense of self? Is this, you know, am I really, um, seeing my true nature here? Is this going to change how I see myself? Is this going to change how I see the world? And so right. and that could be a positive or it could be a negative, right? So you're like, oh my God, I'm really nervous about how to, um, explore psychedelics or to try this stuff because it could be a bad thing for me. And, um, you know, my experience with, with that. Uh, you know, ex- exploration portion is that, you know, especially ayahuasca, you have multiple levels of of consciousness and subconsciousness within your own minds, right? We're up here at the top and we're driving around, right? We, we get to decide what sandwich we want to eat. We get to decide, you know, what job we want to have. We get to decide, you know, all these things. Uh, and as long as we give our body eight hours rest time or sleep time or whatever, then we get to do whatever we want to do. But if you think about it, there's a lot of stuff going on down under the covers within your body, such as, you know, like if you had control and, and responsibility for beating your heart, running your immune system, running your digestive system, like you'd be dead within an hour, right? Or at least I like,
3: right? like, my, my, AD, my ADD would take me pumping my heart, right? right. <laughs> well, that's the autoimmune, the auto response system, or something, right? What's that? What's that system called? I, well, yeah, they uh,
4: they 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 name these things right. They, they're uncomfortable with the fact that we have multiple levels of consciousness that are running things, and so they call those things uh, autonomic, right? Autonomic that's responses. Idea. Right. Which is just a word that they made up to make themselves feel better that, you know, someone below you that you don't know is running the show in your body based on you know the inputs that it's getting and the information that it's getting, et etc. Well, you know, you have a lot of, of levels of consciousness within your mind and they, they explore these things in psychology. And the cool thing is, you know, some of those levels of subconsciousness that are down below your waking awareness where you get to decide what sandwich you eat um, are smarter than we are. And they've proven this in studies where they say, OK, we're going to give one group of folks uh, this problem and we want you to focus on it for the next 30 seconds. And then we're going to, at the end, we're going to ask you what the solution is. And they let those people go and they watch their brain and the brain fixes that, you know, shows that it's fixing the problem in that area that is correlative to that issue that they gave. And at the end, they give an, um, a judgment answer to that question. Well, then they take a second group of folks and they put them in the fMRI and they say, we're going to give you the same question. And they give them the same question, and then they give them a distractor uh, problem of, you know, put these orders in number or put these cars in sequence or whatever it is. And then for the 28 seconds in between, you have a distractor problem that you have to work on that your waking awareness is now working on. And then you give them the answer to that. And then two seconds later, they say, okay, so what's the answer to the original question? And right away, you got to give an answer. And so what happens is what they saw in the brain is that your, your conscious awareness is working on the distractor problem of putting the numbers in order or whatever it is. And then um, the subconscious p- problem is handed to a level that's under your regular waking awareness. So you're focusing on the thing that they just handed you. But the problem that they handed you originally in the first couple of seconds is still being worked on at the subconscious level in your mind. And by the way, When you give that answer at the last second, when you think that you haven't had any chance to work on the problem at all, and you're guessing, Mm -hmm. the guess is a better answer than the people who focused on the problem the whole time. And so what that's showing is that our subconscious awareness is actually smarter than we are on a number of tasks. And if you think about it, that pattern, excuse me, got my mute button messed up. the, The pattern makes a lot of sense. Because as we go lower into our subconscious awareness, eventually we get down to the conscious awareness of two individual cells who come together in mommy and daddy and create a brand new human being with the most complex organ in the known universe that we have, which is our brain, which creates our mind, which helps us live an intelligent and compassionate life, hopefully. Um, though that intelligence level down there to create a brand new human being with the most complex organ in the known universe, they have that intelligence, supposedly, or at least from a, a physical uh, science perspective, they seem to have that intelligence. And so they're much smarter than we are. If you ask me to put together a human body. Yeah, right. Okay. <laughs> I don't think so. You know, if we have all the parts that are grown together, I might be able to sew them in in the proper proportions, but I'm not gonna be able to assemble a human brain from absolutely nothing but, you know, potassium and carbon and you know, all the things that are going into the building blocks of a human brain. So I'm the dumb one at the top is ultimately what it is. And as we go deeper, we get into a higher level of intelligence and a higher level of connectivity into, you know, the fields that are going on around us and the things that we don't understand that help make us in the universe what it is. Now. The, the reason we started down this path is because we're talking about ayahuasca. I believe ayahuasca is a neurotransmitter that helps our brains get into a state where our waking awareness up here, the dumb one at the top, gets to talk to somebody way down deep who is very wise and very smart within our own consciousness. And which I believe also is connected out into non-local conscious field. So...
3: All right, you lost me, dude. What's non-conscious field? All right, What's so the the non-local field?
4: consciousness field is, is, is getting into a theory that I have about how consciousness works. And this is actually very much in line with uh, Dr. Roger Penrose, just won the Nobel Prize for his work in black holes. And he has a theory on consciousness with um, a uh, anesthesiologist in the Southwest. Um, they came up with this idea that Microtubules within the neurons themselves interact within the quantum field interact with quantum field vibrations. And this was a big theory in the 80s that came out that everybody poo-pooed and a lot of physics uh, physicists poo-pooed and said, oh, you, microtubules, first of all, in a warm and wet environment of the brain won't interact with, with uh, quantum field vibrations. Um, and so it starts to go into quantum mechanics a little bit, and quantum mechanics, all the fields within quantum mechanics that help make all the physical stuff that we can touch and interact with and that create our bodies, etc. Um, those things are non-local in the fact that um, they can stretch seemingly very long distances across 3D space time um, instantaneously. And so what that means is that there are reactions that are not dependent on light speed. They're not dependent on on particles passing energy from one to another or energy passing over a a portion of 3D space time. Because in reality, in that uh, field of energy, that works differently than 3D space time does. And so two pieces of of energy, like a particle that is entangled, uh, is actually the one same particle not really two different particles it's just one same particle that's been split in its energy level into two to three two different 3d space time realities okay so which is why when you adjust the one you adjust the other throughout you know immediately across infinite distances across all the way across the universe et cetera. well my theory is that consciousness works the same way and does indeed interact through um the quantum field vibrations now they proved that the our neurons you know microtubules in our neurons do interact with quantum field vibrations in a materials lab in sakuba japan in 2014 where they said okay we're going to put these things under a microscope and we're going to do some very precise measurement on there and they say f- saw that the microtubules were interacting in the warm and wet environment of our brain they were interacting with quantum field vibrations in the, in the gamma spectrum which is important in that um, the gamma spectrum in our brain is highly correlated with our higher virtues our altruism our unconditional love or um compassion things like that and they're measured highest in the monks of tibet and so the 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 guys in the world or the guys and girls in the world who are highest in these gamma waves are the folks who are sitting around meditating on our pain and suffering all day because they don't have any <laughs> and so uh it's interesting to to see that but what i what i assume is is going on there because we do have that physical trail of evidence now to say okay our microtubules do interact with a, a non-local field that is that could be consciousness, right? Um, at the point that you know we're we're interacting with that, we have a path that shows our microtubules do interact with the quantum field. So now we do have a path up through our waking awareness, through our brain, to physically connect with the quantum field. And now you know a lot of things become possible in that um, moment, in that. You now have the possibility for, you know, ESP to be explained and understood. You now have the, the reason of understanding of why quantum mechanics experiences uh, or quantum mechanics exper- experiments are really weird, but they work out exactly the way they do because of consciousness and the uh, loop back to consciousness. Like, the you know, there's a bunch of, I don't want to go too deep and go off the rails here, but there's, you know, there's you quantum mechanics. Already? Go ahead.
3: You haven't gone dark deep already?
1: <laughs> <laughs>
4: yeah we're going deep I, I i geek out a little bit i'll come back i'll come back shallow here in a second so we have these quantum experiments quantum mechanics experiments we have this double slit experiment you fire electrons, electrons at these two slits and and whether you look at them or not we will determine whether or not it comes out with an interference pattern or whether it comes out with these double slits of electrons that, that fire into the the plate behind it um so you know, there's a lot of things that are connected with, you know, how consciousness could work in the universe. But I believe ayahuasca allows for our waking awareness to jump down into a direct conversation with a very deep, very intelligent level of our own subconsciousness. And so it's like when you when you go into an ayahuasca experience, it basically introduces you to a, a deeper version of you who has been there your whole life, who has seen every experiment experience that you've had along the way and has a different perspective on it and can give you advice on it, which is amazingly, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's like a flabbergasting experience. It's a, it's a whole rewrite how you see the universe experience when you're able to take your waking awareness and go down deep within your own mind and ask yourself your own questions. That it has the answers to that you've been wanting the answers to all along. And so the cool thing is when science shows us that we're smarter, the deeper that we go, well, these psychedelics can often um, create the slip and slide for you to get down from where you are now down deep into your own subconscious and talk to yourself with your own answers to how to live a better life, how to be a better human being to the people around you, um, how to live in a, a, a lower stress environment than you have created for yourself through your mind currently, et cetera. And I believe the mechanism for that is because these guys have better access to the microtubules in your neurons and just reach out into the non-local field and say, okay, you want an answer from God? Okay, let's go. Let's get it. It's right here. You know, you wow. don't realize how, how close God is to you because it's just on the other side of your neurons. Wow.
0: I'm blown away. I'm, I, I can too. listen to you all day, brother, because this, oh, this is this fascinates me so much. So, so without stay, going stay to, shallow, yeah. <laughs> without well, without <laughs> going to ayahuasca, I mean, how 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 do you practice, or how do you, uh, you know, dig deep and in, deeper into your subconscious to to to. Yeah, to better your life i guess you know yeah like like like, like
3: in a control set right like like we, we we all can't do ayahuasca all the time but today xyz is bothering me like 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 what's the what's the path?
4: Yeah. And the cool thing is you don't need these psychedelics. You don't need ayahuasca. You don't need uh, psilocybin mushrooms. You don't need LSD. You don't need all this stuff to get there because that's what mind hacking happiness offers is the separate path. I mean, you got to remember this stuff came out before I even started an exploration into psychedelics. And the only reason we went there is because the Navy SEAL came up and said, (laughs) We're going to explore psychedelics,
0: right? Cause the psychedelics, I'd be afraid I might not come back from that. You know what I mean? Like, you won't, you won't come back from that. You'll be different when you come back. That, that,
3: you're absolutely.
4: Yeah. A lot the, uh, the Johns Hopkins studies show that, uh, yeah, you have a 98% per, uh, chance to be a better person. If you try uh, psilocybin mushrooms for, uh, for long-term. Uh, but you don't need to do that. Like if you're a person who's just like, you know, I'm cool the way I am. I just want a little bit better of a, a life or I want to improve my psychological well-being just a little bit. I mean, there is a different way to to get to that. <clears throat> because what psychedelics does, by the way, is it just expands your sense of self out. And there's a way to do that without any external. Um,
3: but, but Sean, I want to kind of like, I want to ask you a question in, in this, though. Like, yeah. I, think, I think when we think about self, we confuse that with ego. And I think that ego and self are two different things. Yeah. Right. I mean, like, because when you say like you expand yourself, like immediately I go to like, well, am I expanding my ego? like, you know, which I'm trying to like, now that I'm in my fifties, like I'm trying to keep that a little bit tighter to me as opposed to living through that.
4: Right. Exactly. No, you're so you are. You are correct. Yourself is a little bit different than your ego because your ego is your is your mind's understanding of self. Right. Your ego. And and let me give you a very Easy definition that everybody can grasp onto of what your ego is. Your ego is simply your mind's identification of the things that if you say I am the third word after that, and any of the three or 400 things that you could probably say after the word I am, that's your ego. That is your, your mind's understanding of self. I am a male. I am my name. I am this political party. I am whatever I am. All those list of things after the word I am become your ego becomes your mind's understanding of self. And those things are what loads into your equation of emotion that then create the opportunity for emotions to occur when you have perceptions that come in. Because if you say, I am a hairdresser and somebody comes in and says, Oh, hairdressing sucks, you know, whatever it is, you have a perception coming in that's going to attack the thing on your self map. And then you're going to have an annoyance of, you know, maybe you're not going to take that person seriously, you're not going to put a lot of weight behind what they said. But it's like, why the hell are you coming in here and saying this, you know, if you're not going to get a haircut or whatever, you're just walking into my shop saying hairdressers suck. You know, it's like, you'll have an emotional reaction connected with that. Your ego is that thing. Your ego is that definition of you that is your mind. Now yourself is something that's a little bit bigger, because when you can look at that egoic uh, understanding of yourself, that mind's definition of you, when you can look at that thing, that really sets off a chain of events in your mind that are uh, permanent and positive in nature. Because, you know, just like a tooth can't bite itself or a fingertip can't touch itself or an olfactory nerve can't smell itself or a taste bud can't taste itself or an eyeball can't see itself without some distance in a mirror, right? there must be a distance between a perceiver and a perceived, or you can't perceive something. You can't measure something that you are without being away from it, right? You need a little bit of perspective. And so when you take your mind and you look at your mind's self, your ego, and you look, you take your mind and you look at your ego, all of a sudden that little subsection of your mind that's down here in a subconscious level, it says, Oh, I'm, I'm in charge of keeping in charge of this self idea because by the way, the self is just a, a definition of the things that we need to protect lest we survive from today into tomorrow. So it's a survival mechanism. It's a very important definition that we hold within ourselves is who and what are we? Because if we're being chased by a bear, we need to know whether we can jump six feet or eight feet or 10 feet over a crevice to be able to get away from a bear. Um, because we mix, if we make that leap and we have misdefined ourselves, uh, we're going to die. Right? So that's a pretty important definition to have correct well that level of subconscious where you all of a sudden can look at your mind self well that level of subconscious previously had you defined as that mind self it was like I am hairdresser I am Sean I am male I am whatever you know Republican or Democrat or independent that I am I am uh you know a father of uh, my son Declan or whatever it is like all these things that are glommed onto your mind's definition of self well at the point that you can look at that from a different perspective. And all of a sudden your mind has to say, wait a second, I thought I was that laundry list of stuff. I thought that was all that stuff on that map that I drew over there. Uh, But now I'm the thing that I'm looking at and I'm the awareness of it. Because so that right there is your psychedelic experience on a mini scale. That is your expansion of your sense of self to say, I am not just my ego. I'm the ego and the awareness of my ego. I'm the, I'm the conscious existence beyond my mind's understanding of me. And the more and more you do that, the more and more you expand out. And so you have this uh, this mud puddle of self, and you throw a, a life problem rock into it, and all of a sudden it splashes water up out of the mud puddle, makes you feel smaller than you were, and uh, you lose a little bit of yourself with this huge life problem rock that is splashed in. Well, the more you can expand your sense of self out, all of a sudden that little mud puddle of self becomes... Uh, a pond of self becomes a lake of self becomes an ocean of self becomes an infinitude of self. And all of a sudden the same life problem rock that you throw into that body of water, that's now much bigger. You don't even notice that it came and went the ripples don't sink any of your boats that you had uh, floating on your mud puddle, like, you know, your marriage or your job or whatever it is like life problems can come in and sink your boats. Well, now that you have a huge body of water, that is yourself, your life problem rocks come in. You don't even notice what's going on. They definitely don't have a chance to sink any of your boats. Um, that's what we're talking about here is to understand the process that your mind uses. And then th- that understanding alone expands out who and what you understand yourself to be because now you're more than just your mind. And then your life problems don't affect you as much. And then as you understand the process that your mind uses to create all your pain and suffering, your negativity and yet it, you can start to turn those dials and turn those things off. And all of a sudden, you don't have to deal with anger as much as you did anymore, or you don't okay. have to deal with sadness
3: as much. Okay, we've got a good definition of what it is, but like, can we let's let's start to put some nuts on bolts a little bit. So, like, like, how do we? I'm new to this. I'm listening to you, Sean. I'm bought in, but but is there something that I can do to kind of go to kind of uh, separate self and ego? Is there a technique or is there there something real practical that if I'm starting off on this, it's a good test for me?
4: Sure. Like, you can get control of your mind back by identifying. You know, first of all, you need to understand that all of your emotional reactions that are going to cause pain and suffering in your life are going to be created by the by this same process that you have in your mind. And now everybody understands that you know, oh my gosh, that's a very powerful process, and how would I ever be free of it? And they can't even put their arms around the fact that they can manipulate that machine that is creating creating their pain and suffering up at the top of their uh, you know in their brain. Well, it is controllable as long as you understand how to um, manage it. And one of the things that you need to first realize is that the pain and suffering and all the thoughts and all the things that your, your brain does isn't really you. It is you're, you're able to watch it. You're able to experience it. It certainly wants to make itself known. But you are the observer of it. And so all of the things that would create your pain and suffering are that egoic identity, are that ego, are that mind's self process. And so you just need to understand that there is a separation between the two. And that's your first step, because at the the point that you can understand that, you know, um, like you experience a, a moment of anger, you need to understand that that is not you giving you that anger that is your physiological response of your mind and brain giving you that anger to deal with and so you're going to start to identify well that is my me right that is the the egoic identity the me within me it's not the awareness it's not my consciousness that's going that's going through this my consciousness my awareness is seeing this anger it's it's wanting to uh, listen to the influence that my body says we have to react to this anger but really that's my me and so if you objectify that me that can give you that separation between your mind's reaction to something and what, who, and what you are in being able to make a conscious decision of whether to use that anger. So you could you could start to say, well, I you, know, you can start to change your your vocabulary a little bit when you say I am angry. You can change that to say the me is angry. And so what does what does that do? Well, first of all, it's improper grammar, so it makes us think for a second, like what the <laughs> me is angry. That sounds. That sounds really weird. So it kind of gives you a hiccup mentally there. But at the same time, it allows you to understand, Okay, remind yourself, oh, I am my I am with the awareness within here. I don't have to react to this anger. I don't have to react to this sadness. I don't have to react to this, this fear, this frustration, this worry, this doubt, this whatever that my mind is giving me, because a lot of that could be one. I could have a faulty perception about something or one. I could be hanging on to something on my self-map that I don't necessarily have to hang on to and it's causing me grief. Uh, because I didn't decide to release this thing a long time ago, which, by the way, I did with politics. I've gone through this whole last year uh, in bliss, you know, just kind of hanging out, having fun. You know, I, I do troll my friends a lot um, online, but, uh, you know, I've, I've taken the the connection with with politics off. So whenever a new perception comes in about politics, it doesn't create pain and suffering for me. Uh, the way it could have, if I was super involved, super wrapped up in politics and super wrapped up in wanting to see the headlines a certain way, every time they came in a different way, right, that was causing me some kind of an issue. So at the point that you can say, okay, the me is the thing that's reacting, that changes your thought process and reminds you, I'm not the thing that is being wrapped by this anger, right? I'm the thing that's observing the anger wanting to wrap around the existence of, of the me. Right. And the me will say, Oh my God, we got to defend this thing. Or, Oh my God, we got to be sad. Or the me will say, Oh my God, we got to be fearful. We got to be angry. We've got to be whatever. We got to worry about this thing, et cetera. And if you can identify and start to use different vocabulary and start to understand that that's not really your entire existence, then all of a sudden you know, life gets a lot better for you. Life gets a lot more controlled for you because now you move from compulsion to choice, where when before you would say, um, I'm sad because he or she broke up with me. Now you can say the me is sad because he or she broke up with the me. Well, now you can start to put it into perspective to say, well, that's just the operations of my mind. And from there, you can start to expand your sense of self out a little bit to understand, well, I am bigger than my problems. I am bigger than this mind process that's going on. And I don't necessarily have to follow its compulsion so, you've
0: moved so, from compulsion- so, many, so So many of us do so many, so many of us do follow our compulsions, like even with aggressive driving, right? Like when somebody cuts you off, you know, instead of like, you know, I want to teach him, I'm going to cut him off because you, you know, all of a sudden you let your anger take control. And instead of saying, you know, allowing the me, or, you know, separating it and saying, you know, this guy's a butthead, you know, but I'm not gonna allow my anger to uh take over and and for me to react, but so many of us do we we identify, yeah, we become. What that is, right? Like you're saying, whether it's politics, whether it's love, no matter what it is, we become this, and we react to it, and and we 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 react to it, whether it's to hurt somebody else, whether it's to show them up, whether it's whether to whatever it is. But you're right. So many of us become what exactly what you're saying.
3: Well, once you you, once you identify it as the me, now it's like like Sean was saying. Now you're the observer to those feelings and you're no longer those feelings. Right. I yeah, I think
4: Tony, yeah. I think Tony's, Tony's dead, right though. And, and a lot of times when we get caught off guard, I mean, the, the mind wants to control us, right? The mind wants to be that influence that says we're going to survive from today into tomorrow. And know, oh, by the way, this is how we do it. Darn it. You know, and this is the action that you need to take. A lot of times that mind will try to convince us that it is us or that we are it, And that whatever it says, we must abide by. And so I agree with you that, you know, about 90, well over 99% of us walk around in this world with this belief that we are this mind and that we do have to believe what it gives us versus the taking the space to understand that we are the awareness beyond the mind. And we don't necessarily have to listen to or or take its advice or take its orders. And then we can use it to our benefit to achieve our higher goals of, you know, uh, what we understand to be a little bit deeper, a little bit more important, a little bit um, more well aligned with, you know, universe or God or source, whatever you want to call it, to fight against that. And that's, you know, even at the the deepest religions and the deepest religion practices that's exactly all of the exercises that all the religions want us to take is to deny the greed to deny the fear to deny the anger to you know and to forgive and to you know do all these things that are going beyond mind to say, get in that space of a higher conscious awareness, get in that space of a higher spiritual existence um and and that's ultimately what you find is when you get your mind out of your way is you find that space and you find that peace, you find that um awareness. And that spiritual energy that that is behind and that is animating all of this stuff, but that's behind the mind and its activities.
3: Sean, I want to play a game with you. You down? Yeah. Okay. I want to take you to TikTok and I want to ask you a couple of questions about a couple of things that you've you've already covered on TikTok, but I kind of would like like if we can just do like some really quick like kind of answers sure. with it. So, are uh, you down? Yeah. You down, Sean? What's anger?
4: Anger is the mind's response to an attack on self that wants to be that you want to defend or that the mind wants to defend
3: and how do, and how do we get how do we mind hack that so i'm like i'm pissed off at tony because he voted in a really shitty way and like uh you know i'm, I'm taking it all personally like, like what can i do what are the physical things that i can do to kind of like you know shift me out, out outside of that anger
4: yeah okay so there are a lot of um Practices that are age old that, you know, like take a deep breath, go outside, take a walk and you know, all this stuff that you've heard about before. But one of the the new things that I'm bringing to the table through Mind Hacking happiness that neuroscience is now supporting. If you look at the two variables that created your anger with Tony and the two variables are one is your expectation and or preference about um, whatever it is that you care about. And that's directly connected with your sense of self, by the way, they're, they're intertwined. So if you care about something, uh, if, if you're going to have an anger uh, reaction at all, uh, Tony is going to have to have come in and stepped on something that you care about that you want to then defend that action, whatever he, you know, whether he actually physically stepped on it or he came in and verbally stepped on it or he came in and stepped on it, stepped on it with his actions or whatever it was. Um, <clears throat> so you've got an expectation or preference about that thing that he stepped on. And your expectation or preference is always set by homeostasis, which is it's got to increase in value uh, or stay status quo, or we're going to have a problem. If it's going negative, that's when we have a problem, we have an emotional reaction about it. But if as long as it's staying status quo or increasing in value, we're cool. So Tony has come in and he stepped on something that is sending, something you care about in a negative way. And you say, no, 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 let's get this back forward again. And that's your, that's your anger reaction. It's a, it's the emotion that's based on that. So if you look at your expectation or preference, that changes what your perception is, is changing what you're, you're focused on. So that, that changes where, because your perception that makes you angry in the first place is you're focused on what Tony did. So now that when you change, you take your perspective and you change it to, okay, what is it that he's stepping on within me? It's a, it's a reflection of an internal, it's an internal reflection. So what is he stepping on within me that I want to react to that this anger has, has flourished? The second one is what was my perception? So how did I see Tony's action, or how did I see Tony's statement, or how did I see, um, you know, whatever it is that he's stepping on in my perception? Wh- what what was the perception that came in and triggered me? So at the point that you take your awareness and you point it on those two things, something amazing happens. Two things amazing happens actually. One, that creates the distance between you being able to experience the the emotion. And then it also reminds you, I can see the emotion. I can understand this emotion. This emotion is a process. My mind is using these two variables to create this thing for me. So that puts a distance between you and the emotional reaction in play. So now you're not as controlled by the anger as you would have been a moment ago because you're looking at the two variables that have created your anger. The second thing that it does, it's amazing. Matt Lieberman at UCLA in 2007 did a study where he asked two groups of people to go into an fMRI and he said, I'm going to show you these emotionally charged pictures And media, and I just want to watch your brain. And so he went in and showed the first group, sadness, anger, fear, whatever it was, and he watched the brain and he watched the portions of the brain light up. Because when we see something happening in another human being, we have these um, mirror neurons, we have this uh, empathy circuit stuff that uh, wants to bring that emotion up in us, so that we can try to help solve this other person's problem, or very social uh, creature. Well, the second group Um, You know, the first group, he watched the brain and they lit up in the fear and sadness. The second group, he put in there and he said, "Okay, I want you to look at these same pictures, but I want you to name the emotion in play. Just name it. Just put a word to it. If you see fear, say fear. If you see sadness, say sadness, whatever it is. And so what they saw in the second group is that there was a particular group of circuits that would send a message back to the emotion brain after they named the, the emotion in play. The right ventral lateral prefrontal cortex and the medial prefrontal cortex would then send a signal back to the emotion brain and say, okay, we understand this thing. Let's turn it off. And what would happen under the fMRI machine is they saw it in real time. The amygdala would turn off. The amygdala would immediately start to downregulate. And they saw this in real time to where the blood flow would decrease in the amygdala because it wasn't using as much energy because it wasn't creating the negative emotion associated with the picture that they were looking at because they put an understanding to it. Now, the cool thing is when you put this understanding to your two variables that create any emotion in play that you have, that same circuitry fires off and turns off your negative reaction in the moment. And this is is the same functionality of uh, you walking by a coil on the ground. And you look down and kind of out of the corner of your eye and like oh my god a snake and your amygdala and your your limbic system immediately hijack your brain your prefrontal cortex gets turned off you get an adrenaline dump you're like oh my god i gotta run from a snake now
1: mm-hmm. right so
4: that's an emotional reaction and then you look down and you see it's a hose oh okay that's cool that's a lot better uh, now that i don't have to deal with a snake okay so now your your understanding portion of your mind up here uh says okay Emotion brain, you reacted a little quickly. Thank you very much for the alarm. We know you're looking out for us, but it's just a hose. So quit wasting the energy now with the adrenaline dump and with all this other energy that we're associated with. Now we need to run away from the snake. Quit wasting that because we, want, we might wind up with a, a snake another block down the street. So let's turn that off immediately. And your emotion brain immediately turns off and it resolves that issue. There is no more fear. You'll never have another emotion of fear connected with that hose in that instance. Wow. It may freak you out later but it's not going to freak you out now. Mm -hmm. So um, what that does is you're hacking your brain to understand why you're angry at Tony. You're now understanding the emotion in play So what happens from a nervous system perspective, your, your emotion brain sends a signal forward and says, okay, everybody freak out. We just found a snake or, you know, freak out. Tony just stepped
1: on a snake. (laughs)
4: Tony just shit on our favorite thing, you know, whatever it is. Um, Right. So let's, let's have a freak out about that now. When the reality is, if you can understand what's going on there, you can understand the anger you're. You're hacking those circuits to turn off and resolve your negativity by understanding what's going on with the Tony situation of what your expectation was with the thing that you cared about, what your perception was when Tony came in and took a shit all over it, Mm -hmm. whatever it was. Um, You know, you understand that. Well, those same circuits then tell your emotion brain, hey, we're cool. We got the message. Appreciate it. But, you know, you can turn it down a little bit. And maybe you're, you know, maybe you turn it down from an anger, you know, an ire or a rage into a, a moderate frustration that you say, uh, you know, hey, Tony, you know, I, maybe this is just me, but, you know, my perception there for a minute was and now it gives you some talking points. Right? right, it gives right, you a right. you know oh you know you know I am connected to that thing a little bit um and you know my perception was that you know your your reaction your action there was uh, that it that it attacked it a little bit and you know brought up a little bit of frustration in me now you guys got something to talk about. Rather than you being pissed off and saying, "Hey, fuck you," you know, or whatever, yeah. I, just, I didn't even ask you if we could curse on this podcast. Sorry. Well, you just
3: did, so we're all right. Yeah. So,
4: <laughs> so you know, I mean, rather than that, that reaction of of anger and pushing back and fighting immediately to try to defend that thing, now you've got some some fodder to say, "Hey, let's have a discussion about this," so you don't ruin a relationship. Because I just put out a, a TikTok the other day that was, you know, hey, uh, by the way, all of your anger uh responses throughout history have been the things that have destroyed your relationships with other people professionally or personally. Like well, you've done the most damage of any relationship when you're angry with it, right? And so Sean, I, uh, I, don't,
3: I don't want to make this about me, but I'm going to make it about me like this, is, this has been so I, I, I'm 51. Right. But this has been my belief since since my early 30s. And, and, and um, the game that I played in my head was, ha- have I ever been reactive to a situation and gotten a positive result? And I started asking myself this question in my, my early to mid 30s. And the answer, 99.9% of the time is no, you never get a positive result from from being reactive. Right. Right. So 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 I have to say, well, that's a wasted emotion. Reactive emotion is a wasted emotion. And and what it did is it allowed me a little bit of time to kind of go and evaluate what's going on. That's not saying that I'm not reactive because I I still can be. But but I'm much better now than I was, you know, 15 years ago. Is is this the kind of the same thing that you're talking about? I just put different words to it.
4: Yeah, a little bit. Um, It takes a little bit deeper when you're when you're talking about getting in and using because one of the things that your anterior cingulate cortex does is it can only pay attention to one thing at a time. Right. And so this is like your traffic cop, not to get too much neuroscience into this, but you're, you this there's this portion of your brain that pays attention to what you're paying attention to and it decides what to pay attention to, but it can only pay attention to one thing. And so when you have that picture of the vase and the two faces, I don't know if it's a pretty famous psycho, psychological yeah, sure. image, you can only pay attention to the two faces or the vase. And I know a lot of people are going to argue about this and they're going to say, Oh, I can do the same. I can do both of them at the same time. You can't, it switches very, 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 very quickly to where you don't really get a differentiation between one of the two things that you're paying attention to, but it will pay, it will pay attention to only one thing at a time. So um, when you, when you take control of that thing consciously and you put it on something intentionally, that's when you start to take control. So like you're rather than, um, kind of having the reaction internally and deciding not to react to it, that's a good thing. That's a very powerful thing. And it's something that you figured out that a lot of people haven't been able to figure out. And I'm sure that it's made your life better. It would make other people's lives better if they were able to figure that out too, by the way. But if you want to up that game, then you take your attention and you focus it on the two variables that have come to create that base reaction in the first place that you decided not to react to. And then over time, that will then turn that reactivity off. Like, like now you might still have a, a smaller bit of reactivity because you don't react to it. And your body has learned, your brain has learned, well, I'm not going to make as much of a reactivity response as I had previously. Well, you want to put that on steroids. Then you basically put your mind on the two variables that created that in the first place. And you will stop having that reactivity period, which is amazing. Mm-hmm. It's an amazing place to be. i we want to talk about the, the, um, the, the age old, uh, Wisdom, discipline, and stories of nirvana of just being happy all the time for no reason to be happy. Uh, that's mm-hmm. kind of where that comes from is that all the negativity, all the negative reactivity in your life has diminished and, and plasticity has killed it over time to where you don't even have to deal with it anymore. It's an amazing place to
0: be. That's awesome. That's so cool. I want to be there. <laughs> <laughs> your, me does. your me wants to be there. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So, uh, yeah, so. Do, do you help, or do you provide uh, help for people to to who w- want to get through me there? Yeah, uh,
4: certainly. I'm I'm in the phase right now of you know writing books and trying to put out videos and things like that that people can access for free because especially right now in this 2020 COVID time and this election time and this divisiveness and all the stuff that stuff has been going on in our local neighborhood over here. Uh, In America, I wanted to get the information out so that people could start to take control of their minds, take control of their lives a little bit without having to lay out a bunch of of money because the people that are experiencing the highest amount of stress right now are the folks who don't have a job, right, Uh who don't have expendable income to lay out for a course, you know, because I did have the Mind Mastery 101 course out for a thousand bucks. Everybody loved it. They paid for it. They did not complain. No one asked for their money back. And that's all you had to do is just say, I didn't like it. And you can get your money back. No one did. And so then we discounted it to a hundred dollars and now it's for free on YouTube,
2: right? Awesome. So you can go find
4: the mind mastery One Hundred One uh, course on YouTube for free. Uh, so I've been doing that kind of stuff. We're just now getting to the point where we're, we've got a little skeleton team and I might have some time, you know, some hours freed up to do, you know, one-on-one coaching or whatever it is. Uh, we haven't gotten there yet, but I do put out a lot of media on the internet to say in general terms, here's how your mind works. Here's how situations work. And, you know, if you can use this stuff to help your your life get better, then that's awesome. Do so.
3: Sean, dude. All right. Now you got to help me. Now you got to help me with something. And, and I don't know if you have the answer for it. If not, if we'll just keep moving on, but, but, um, you know, because of the podcast, Tony and I, we do um, we do some public speaking um, here and there, now and then, <laughs> a lot more then than it is now <laughs> with the COVID thing. But but you know, we're asked to do some of these things, and and I have a like a serious case of stage fright. Are there is there anything like like how do, how can I kind of control those what's what what seems to be uncontrollable kind of like like fear and kind of like you know like I feel faint almost every time that I have to step on a stage.
4: Yeah. And that comes down to understanding why that occurs and be, and then kind of taking the bricks out of that foundation, so to speak, right? So the fear that you're experiencing before you get on stage is completely connected with a potential devaluation of self, right? The definition of fear is that it is the mind's reaction, mind's emotion to uh, a potential devaluation of self. And we can um, do a, a, a quick analysis of that in that if I see my son um, out sitting on the grass outside and I see a bear (laughs) running across the Mm -hmm. lawn towards my son, right. I'm, I'm grabbing a baseball bat going, going out to see how I can uh, take on this bear uh, because of the fear. Well, that's a potential devaluation of self. Like my son winds up on my self map. He's right there in the center. He's someone I care about dearly and a potential devaluation or potential uh, you know, negative shift of myself, as weird as it sounds, is what creates that fear to get me moving, to drive myself outside. And it's why we care for other people is that, you know, other people wind up on our self-maps, the other ideas wind up on our self-maps, our ideas of our politics, the ideas of our religions, the ideas of our job, the ideas of our income. All these things wind up on our self-map. But at any point that one of those things starts to, to take a potential, you fall into a situation where it could be devalued.
3: Devalued.
4: And so, um, when you're about to step up on stage, that's a moment of a potential devaluation about to occur. Like, if you screw it up, you, you, your perception, then, right? And we're talking about all internal stuff, whether or not they would see this way or not, doesn't matter. It would be your potential uh, perspective to say, I'm about to take a hit because if I screw this thing up, or if I forget a section, or if I, you know, stumble on my words, or, you know, if my fly's undone, or whatever it is, right? You, your perception would then be that you're going to take a devaluation and that's where the fear is coming from. So there are two ways to handle that. <clears throat> one is to try to attack every one of the perceptions because you have your expectation over here, uh, which sets up, you know, my expectation is that I want to be seen as uh credible My expectation is I want to want this information to be delivered to the audience and be useful to them. And if I screw it up, then that'll reduce the potential that people will take this seriously. You know, whatever it is, all those things you have to line up and understand what they are. Well, your perception is the other side. Your perception is whether I've done a good job at all these things, right? So you can manage the perceptions. You can try to manage the perceptions one after another, after another, after another, which is the positive psychology thinking, And it's called reappraisal therapy and things like that, where you just reappraise your perceptions. And then that tries to adjust your emotional output connected with this. Or my thought is you connect with this and you change this thing around and you, uh, you don't put as much stock into this mind's definition of you as your simple activity is right. So rather than having to deal with all the perceptions that come in one after another, after another, because that's why your mind works. You know, you have different right. perceptions come in all the time and having to readjust these things. Well, this is pretty static, this expectation and preference thing connected with yourself. So if you can create a shift of your sense of self to where, you know what, I'm going to be okay with this sense of self. I'm going to be okay. If I take a hit out here, I'm going to be okay. If I take a devaluation out here for, if I stumble on some words or I do whatever, we're going to go out there and have fun with it. And then you change your, your, your connection to your expectation or preference, right? If you can change your expectation or preference to say, how is this going to reflect on me to be one of more, Hey, uh, so we're going to wipe all that off the table. And then we're going to put a new connection in there. That's more important to me. That says, Hey, I want to go out there and and connect with this audience and have fun with this audience and, uh, and, and laugh at myself over my own mistakes. Boom. That is a shift in your paradigm right there that allows for the room for mistakes to occur. So now they're not going to make you nervous anymore. Before you go up on stage, you're going to be like, I hope I make a couple of mistakes that I can laugh at that we can make a joke about, you know, whatever it is, all of a sudden, that's a total shift in perspective that says, I'm not worried about mistakes anymore. Turns off your fear, allows your flow to occur. And now you're operating at a higher level of proficiency because you're in that state of we're out there having fun. We're going to do this together. Uh, Hopefully I'll make a couple of mistakes up here that we can laugh at. And all of a sudden you're, you're firing on all cylinders, right? Now Hmm. you're, now you're delivering it and laying it uh, the way you've always wanted to, because your mind is like, yeah, let's go out there and have fun with this. Let's go out there and make some mistakes. Let's go out there and have a good time together in this 30 60 90 sixty, ninety—full day, whatever it is that we're doing with these folks—and knock this out. All of a sudden, your brain gives you a whole different experience.
3: I'm still calling Sean right before I get on stage next time. Right. <laughs> I'm gonna need that pep <laughs> kind of talk about like how it ain't me. <laughs> you know, we have we have a friend who does a lot of public speaking. She's uh, she's actually a motivational speaker, and the advice that she gave me because I came whining to her about it too once. And uh the, uh, the advice that she gave to to me, which kind of changed my perspective, was she said that you know. Um, when you're speaking, you know, your audience isn't everyone, but your audience is someone. So yeah. go find your someone. And that that allowed me to kind of like, Oh, you know what? It's okay. It's not the whole room that's judging me. I just need to be there for one person. And yeah. then by just now having a one, a one-on-one conversation with, with somebody, even if I didn't know who that somebody was, that it, it just, it, it, it freed the room. Yeah. A little bit.
4: Yeah. And it does. I mean, it changes your your whole perspective on what you're doing. Right. Because uh, the one where you're limited is, you know, your perspective is, oh, I'm going out there and I'm trying to build this following or I'm trying to deliver this message or I'm trying to be this person who can then be this uh, a trusted advisor for a number of people, whatever it is. And then all of that comes back to you, like all of your perception comes back to you, your delivery comes back to you, Your, de- you know, the the proficiency at which you've done your job comes back to you that's, that's all negative stuff. Like that, right. that has nothing but the potential to create negativity, unless you just knock it out of the park and you're like, yay, look at me. I'm awesome. Right? <laughs> when you go out there and you, and you change that and you shift that to say, I want to connect with that one person, whoever it is, that's out there in that audience for me, who is going to get what I want him to get or her, uh, want her to get out of this thing today. I'm going to go out there and focus on connecting with that one person that shifts it completely. And then, you know, like like what we talked about a second ago, if you go out there and you want to just connect with everybody and have a great time and whether or not they're going to be uh, bettered by the information that you're delivering, you can still entertain them with your experience and with your storytelling and yada, yada, yada. Uh, that's the same type of thing. So she's completely right.
0: So Here's one. You know, here, here we are in holiday season and then end of the year, we always have these resolutions for the new year. And then by uh, mid 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 month of that first month, mid January, yeah, we January uh, we tend to get sidetracked, right? So we're, we we totally give up ourselves. We you know, and, and this is mainly exercise. We we always like, I want to eat better, I want to exercise, and and that's everybody's goal. it Seems like at the end of the year, and then by mid January or beginning of February, people have moved past that.
4: Yeah, change is hard, and here's why it's hard. Um, and it goes back to your survival mechanisms and your equation of emotion and all the stuff we talked about in the mind hacking happiness, red book. Um, and I explained why change is hard in the blue book. So, but if you're into the, if you're into the, uh, the metaphysical and the spiritual stuff, you, you, you continue into the blue book, but the red book, we will explain, um, you know, your equation of emotion is one of these things that you have your sense of self, which is always there in your mind. And you can, you can learn how to, control it. You can learn how to change it. You can learn how to you know, expand it, et cetera. But then you have these perceptions that are coming in one after another, after another. <clears throat> and so what it's doing is it's checking to see if that perception is a threat to self ultimately. And so you have all these perceptions that have passed through you throughout, through time and all these things that have been cleared to say, okay, this is cool. This is not an, uh, an attack on my sense of self or whatever it is. Well, at the point that you change your sense of self, all of the things, first of all, it's a brand new list that you have to start checking things against. Like like if you say um, New Year's resolution, I am now somebody who's going to go to the gym for, for you know, three or five days a week and I'm going to eat less sugar and I'm going to eat more veggies. Well, all of a sudden your perception about what's coming in on your dinner plate has changed and it now has to be compared to a different list of self stuff that you've just now tried to redefine here on January one. That's more difficult. But then also, all the things that you've done in the past and all the perceptions that you've checked in the past now need to be rechecked for this new list to find out if those things are attacks on self or a threat to self, your, your mind's new self map. And so change is really hard because your brain's like, no, 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 no. We're, we're, not, we're, we're not giving up cheesecake. You kidding me? We're we're not adding this, uh, this new exercise, this new gym thing to our, that's, that's a brand new list of stuff that I got to check the world's perceptions against. And and all the stuff that we checked against previously now has to be rechecked for the new list. And I'm not going to be that, that guy that goes to the gym five days a week or whatever it is. And that's a subconscious level of resistance that says, um, that could be a threat to what I understand. That could be a threat to self right there. This change, even though I think it's positive, even though I know it's positive, we can run it through all the tests of social uh, proof or whatever it is. We know going to the gym is good for you. We know it's good for your brain. We know it's good for your body. We know it's, but then your subconscious mind says, nope, I don't want to change because changing is dangerous. Changing. We've already checked all the perceptions that we've had for a potential threat to self. And if we change that, we got to check all those things again. If we change that now we've got, you know, it's like, Oh, yeah. When we have a perception we're not changed, it's super easy because it's just second nature. We already know what the list is. We've been working with the same list for the last couple of decades and now we're going to change it. What? No, let's not do that. Right. So you have that resistance within yourself that winds up kiboshing you and becoming your own uh, saboteur.
3: Mm. Love that. Right. 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 Like it? it's it's nice to hear like an understanding or an understanding, you know, thought about it. You know, as opposed to, like, I just suck, so I can't do it, you know, which is usually where your brain goes, hey, yeah, Sean- so the
4: key, to, the key to get by you buy that, by the way, just to add that before your next question, sorry to interrupt. No worries. Um, the key to get by that is to pick something on your self-map that is near the center of it that's so important that you cannot deny it. And then you attach that new thing to that, right? So my dad, you know, the... And the doctor did this for my dad when he was uh, in his 50s. He went to the doctor and, the, and his blood pressure was so high. The doctor said, Well, would you like to have your heart attack here? You want to wait until you get home. Right. So it was a connection with his life existence period um, that he had to then stop smoking as much, stop drinking as much, start exercising more. All the things that he didn't want to do was connected with his very life existence at that point. And so that assisted him in moving forward. So for me, Um, You know, I connect my uh, exercise regimen and my ability to get outside and and do the stuff that's good for my body to my son. I want to be around longer for my son. Right. And so when, when I, when, when the danger of me releasing that exercise requirement or the danger of me releasing that eating right requirement now is a risk to my son's life. Overall, the quality of his life, the ability for me to deliver messages later into his life or financial help or, uh, um, you know, my connections uh, of the people that I know getting him uh, advantages in you know, getting into the right school or getting the right job or whatever it is, right? All of those things are now suspect or now at risk if I give up eating right, exercising, you know, all that stuff. I've attached those things to something very, very important. I've anchored them into something at the center of myself now. So if you want to get by that. Bigger than you. Yeah, totally. Totally. If you want it. And it's, it's really a shift of self and myself, right? My son's there. He's always been there, but now I've taken something and I, I put it on top. I've anchored it to him in my exercise and and dietary restrictions, stuff like that. And that has changed my sense of self, just like you said. You just
0: gave me a definition why I did. So I smoked, uh, probably almost 20 years. And then when my daughter was, uh, Five years around five or six, uh, when I would get home from work, she would say, Oh, daddy, and she comes give me a hug, and then she would put her hand in my pocket and grab my cigarettes and go flush them down the toilet. And uh, so that went on for a little bit. And uh, and then one day she came and asked me, she goes, Dad, can smoking kill you? And she granted, she's five or six years old. And I said, It can for some people because I knew if I tell her no, it won't, she's gonna smoke. Right. And then all of a sudden she started getting teary eyed and uh, started crying and said, "Dad, I don't want you to die." Yeah. And at that moment, I quit smoking. I yeah. never smoked a cigarette after that because I knew if I continued to smoke and I got lung cancer, it, it she would blame me or you know be I mean, hold me responsible or. I'm going to show her that, you know, it's okay to smoke and go do, and I can hurt, harm her that way. So I put that connection, uh, made that connection and put her above of, you know, of your ego, of me, of my ego. <laughs> right. And I haven't smoked since. That's and it, amazing. And it's almost 20 years. That's,
4: That's a great story.
0: That's
3: good. Yeah. Sean. Um, all right. This is going to be the most controversial conversation that we have today. Okay. Um, uh you you did a tiktok about it and and it's it's very intriguing to me but what is this like i am depressed or 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 i am anxiety or or you know when, when we start to own this these feelings you know these diagnosis, diagnoses i say lightly because cuz i think i think 90% of us kind of are undiagnosed or we're self-diagnosed i should say right. but 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 how do we get kind of i mean i guess it's kind of like Does it? Well, I guess I'll form it as a question. Is it like I'm an alcoholic? I mean, because I'm an alcoholic is what carries you forward, right? Yeah. But I am depressed or I am I am anxiety like, like, does that carry you forward? Or is that someplace that you live? You kind of get what I'm saying?
4: Yeah, I do. And I understand exactly what you're talking about. Because when I put that video out, it was one of the first videos that came back and had some negative feedback to it. And, and I knew it would, I knew it would. Because and what it was is it wasn't really an attack, but people do see it as an attack. And so specifically what we're talking about is the point that I made that when you have a mental challenge, it's the science of yesterday is misleading us in and leading us in the wrong direction in that a lot of times, um, because people don't understand the mind and how malleable it is, and they don't understand the brain and how the brain will literally, because of plasticity, change in form and function. Like it changes its gray matter and changes its white matter based on how we use it. And it's one of the only organs, uh, or it's the organ that is best designed to, to change constantly. I mean, we're writing memories at this moment. Uh, it's changing things in our brain physically, right? Um, we have to remember that our brain is very well positioned to change and cure the ailments that are challenging us. And so when we speak about things like depression, we speak about things like anxiety, we speak about things like PTSD, we we speak about things uh, connected with our mental processes. It's important not to put those things on as a life sentence. Because if you want to cure them, First of all, if you put them on as a life sentence, you've kiboshed your whole goal of curing them. So you can't do that. Um, but second, when you put them on as a life sentence or uh, as a piece of your identity, like, and I hear this and I see this all over the Internet. I have ADHD or I, you know, it's like they, they put it on as, a, as a, a badge of, you know, help. This helps define me. You know, this, this allows me to accept my limitations because now I can wear this thing on my chest that says ADHD. And now I don't have to address my issues because first of all, I have the badge. And second of all, um, now I have a group of people who I can connect with. Now I have friends that, Are also ADHD who we can commiserate with together, or we can try to, you know, it doesn't even have to be negative. It can be that we can strategize how to improve our lives or how to reduce our symptoms or whatever it is. But when you put that on as a badge, the thing that occurs is that it becomes a portion of your sense of self. And then when you go to solve your ADHD problem or your anxiety problem or your PTSD problem or your depression problem or whatever it is, all of a sudden you have to take that badge off. And so You get super complex when you put that thing on as a piece of your identity, because your brain will then start to defend your list of sense of self items, which includes ADHD or includes depression or includes PTSD or includes the thing that you are now in that group of. So now when you cure it, um, it's an attack on your sense of self. Or when somebody suggests that you can cure it, it's an attack on your sense of self. Or when somebody suggests that it's not a life sentence, it's an attack on your sense of self, because you've accepted it as a life sentence. And that's an idea that now is under attack. And now you would want to defend. Oh, no, no, no. I can't cure my ADHD. I can't cure my depression. I can't cure my PTSD. You know, when, when reality is other, if other people can do it, you can do it as well and other people have done it. Right. And so the danger is you put this self-diagnosis most of the time, or you put this diagnosis on as a portion of your sense of self. And all of a sudden you start wrapping yourself, your social connections, with uh, this uh, ailment that you have or this challenge that you have. And when you cure it, all of a sudden, you're losing a portion of your identity. You're losing your friends, your social structure. You're losing the fact that you can now be this person and talk about this issue and yada, yada, yada. Because uh, now the other people who have put it on as a sense of self don't want to believe that you've actually cured it. and Now you're in denial and now you don't, you know, now you still have it, but you just are saying that you don't have it. And now you're putting, you know, all kinds of extra weird things connected with how your mind works onto the thing that you've connected with your sense of self, your ADHD, or your yada yada yada. And so, it's it's not an attack on your sense of self to say, look, if you have a challenge of PTSD or of anxiety, of depression, of uh, you know ADHD, I said that, but um, if you have these things that are challenging you, they are certainly challenges, and you certainly can have a diminished. Um, quality of life connected with those things but don't put them on permanently because the moment that you put them on permanently you will start to defend your existence as that person with that ailment and then it becomes a life sentence and so uh, because your mind makes it a life sentence your mind refuses to to release it and so that that message of Please don't do that. Please don't put that on as your sense of self, because it's only going to make it harder for you to get over this thing if you really ever do want to get over it. Well, certain people who've already put that on as life sentence see that as an attack on self. I have already put on I am ADHD. I'm going to be ADHD for the rest of my life and you can't change it. And these are the things that I'm going to do. And these are the friends I'm going to make. And these are the challenges I'm going to have. And now you're saying I don't have to have all that. Uh, Fuck off. (laughs) right and so now they're 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 limiting themselves into a life sentence of this ailment because it's become a portion of this of who they are or who they think they are sure and all these positive emotions and positive sensations and uh feelings of camaraderie and connection with others who have the same now i'm threatening all of that by saying you can cure it
1: Mm. and
4: they're like no Mm -hmm. i don't want to cure it
3: well, if you I want am. to cure if you want to cure it, here's the answer, right? You got to take that badge off, right? Right, you exactly. Can't, can't be, it can't be yourself and it can't be your identity. It's just a part of our it's a part of your experience, but it's not a part of you. Yeah. Right, exactly. And so, and, and so a lot I don't of think people think you're, there, you're so. not denying that that it's not real, but oh, no, no, no. you're saying that that we can get past it. Yes. It's very it is, real. It's very real. But as long as we don't put the badge on, then don't we don't have can, to own we, it. We don't have to own it. Exactly. Right right
4: know. exactly it's like it's like and, and I don't want to uh you know minimize uh how crippling certain uh mental conditions can be, but it is very analogous to growing your fingernails long and you know having them curl up like those ladies do in the world. Guinness Book of World Records, you know, they can't do anything. They can't hit a, a button on a keyboard with those nails, right? Like <laughs> right, yeah, They can't do a bunch of stuff, right? No masturbation for these ladies. Right? So, you got, <laughs> right? so you've got these long fingernails and that's a situation of your life. And all of a sudden you just put it on as a badge to say, I am the long fingernail lady and I can't ever clip these things. Well, you're going to have a limited uh, use of your hands based on what you refuse to do. But if it's become a portion of your identity, then all of a sudden, you know, what are you going to do,
1: right?
3: Mm -hmm.
4: You're going to clip them off, then you're not going to be the longer fingernail lady, right? So it's the same type of thing that if you allow yourself to put these things on long term, you're going to have them forever. So just before you make that decision or before you, you know, you let that occur for a long period of time, even if you've slipped into it accidentally uh, and you've put it on, you haven't realized that you put it on, you haven't realized the implications of putting it on. Uh put some thought into that and rethink that because if you take it off as a portion of your identity, all of a sudden you can cure yourself of it. And you don't have to lose the friends that you've had with your ADHD or your uh depression or your anxiety or whatever it is, just help lead them out of it as well. And then you can all still be friends. You can all be survivors
3: of this there. Boom. Boom, boom, that. boom. I love that too. All right. One more question, then we'll get out, I promise. And uh Sean, what <laughs> And I love this because, you know, when we have those friends that, you know, that are just getting into relationships, you know, my advice to them is always to stay in cloud nine as long as you possibly can, because when it's gone, it's gone in a relationship. But what happens, what happens, like, what's the physiology that what that happens in the brain when you're when you're on cloud nine? And is there a way to kind of extend that?
4: Yeah, it's called hedonic adaptation. And it happens with absolutely everything. New spouse, new car, new uh, phone, new, anything, right? You have this, this thing in your nervous system where, you know, your equation of emotion works the same way all the time. Your expectation or preference of your life is that it increase in value or stay status quo. We're going to have a problem. And then you have a perception. And when you get the new spouse or the new phone or the new, whatever it is, you're adding a bunch of cool things that you like onto your self map. And that's going to have a positive effect. But what happens over time is that the nervous system equalizes, and this happens. uh, This is why people don't smell their own body odor. This is why people can wake up in the middle of the night and smell gas in the house. And then 10 minutes later, they think it was an illusion, and they go back to bed, The gas kills the whole family. Your nervous system only reports the differences on things. And so uh, in that instance of the gas in the house, uh, time zero to time one, your brain wakes you up and says, hey, dummy, wake up this life Killing thing is in your presence, and you need to get out of the house and so it reports on the differences between time zero and time one of the gas, and your brain something does, does with it um and then from time one to time two, the gas is high and stays high, and you stop smelling it and this happens with uh how your butt doesn't feel the chair right now until you put some attention to it. now you can feel your butt in the chair as you put your attention to it, but a few a second before I said that, your nervous system quit reporting on it a long time ago because it was like, okay. You just sat down. Okay, now I can feel the chair. And then a few minutes later, it's like, "Eh, nothing's changed. So we're not going to report on it. Well, same thing happens with your happiness levels, with your spouse, with your items in your life, with your job, with your income. You always get used to whatever new thing it is you have, you get used to it. And then your nervous system quits being happy about it. It may not be unhappy about it, but you know, that's where that luster uh, is lost in your relationship that that happy time in the beginning that you're talking about you know live live in the fantasy for as long as possible um because the reality is your your nervous system will equalize and even the perfect mate like if you even lived with yourself forever you would eventually divorce yourself (laughs) (laughs) right you would get you know used to it to such a point that you know it just wouldn't be floating your boat anymore well that's when you have to kind of reinvent things that's when you have to you put your attention on the things that are good in your relationship or good in your life to remind yourself, this could be a lot worse than it is. Right. Uh, and and that, you know, my wife and I went through that, you know, we, you know, there's that amazing honeymoon thing for the first uh, X number of years and then you have kids and then that's magical and yada, yada, yada. And you're growing a human life and you're helping a individual become a human being. Uh, and then, you know, you just kind of fall into this pattern into this thing and like, things become a little boring. Things become a little, um, uh, Laxidaisical, uh historical. stagnant. Yeah, stagnant. And so you know, you wind up having to take your attention and focus it on the amazing things that are still there with your partner that you just got used to, right? That is just, you know, um
0: so cloud can 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 really not be a good thing, right? Because in a sense it can create addictions, it can create uh you having affairs and it can create because you want to constantly have something new. You know, uh, you know, people come shopaholics, right? Because they got to constantly have something new to make them feel like they're on cloud nine or whatever that and whatever's released, what kind of endorphins that are released for that.
4: Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, I I know a number of people and I've known a number of people in my life who just were shopaholics and wanted something else the next weekend, you know, that they didn't have this and science calls it the hedonic uh, adaptation treadmill in that it's always a function of your nervous system, nervous system getting used to something and then you needing something new over time and if you can break that man you want to talk about freeing the chains of uh hmm. <laughs> commercialism from your life um you know if you can find a place that suits your living needs that you can afford and that you don't have to get the next bigger better you know house or spouse or Uh, car or whatever it is based on you know this other level is serving your life and you're okay that it's going to serve your life indefinitely for a while that you live with this smaller house you live with this older car whatever it is because it still gets you around man you want to talk about freedom and the ability to have more income to do with what you want to that's amazing it's an amazing space to be in
0: yeah that's awesome so so can you share with our listeners how they can find you uh things that uh you they can help them find happiness 24/7 which I'm looking forward to being. Uh, <laughs> how do you mind hack the happiness? Right.
4: Sure. You can go to mindhackinghappiness.com is our website and from there provides all the jumping off points to our YouTube channel to uh I think we I think we've got some links up for the TikTok stuff now but the free mind mastery one-on-ones on the YouTube channel um the books are available on audible and amazon i read them myself on audible and you can get uh, a free Audible, or you can get a free book if you sign up for an Audible membership. I've had a membership since 2006, by the way. So I practice what I preach on that one. I would be out begging for money on the sidewalk if I had no other means of income just to pay for my Audible membership. It's how much I love <laughs> with those guys. Uh, because you can go in and you can listen to the author read their own book with their own inflection and their intonation and the emphasis of the points that they're trying to make, etc., uh, I did that. You can go to Audible and get Mind Hacking Happiness. There's a couple of books there. I'm working on a third book called The Human Mind Owner's Manual, which should be fun. Uh should be out sometime in 2021, which would be amazing. Uh, but, you know, uh, Mind Hacking Happiness, if you Google that, you'll find me somewhere and usually find me giving you tips on how to improve your life in a way that you can make it useful for you.
0: Well, you found a couple of fans that are going to be stalking you on a regular, so. <laughs> <laughs> Already have been. <laughs> no lie. Sean, dude, thank
3: you very much. Thanks for giving us your time, and thanks for hanging out with us. And thank you very, very much for joining us on your.